0: Woke up this morning into my car to start my day First stop is my buyer who 6 months ago walked away When I arrive he treats me like a commodity
1: Hey and welcome to the Value Clarity Podcast where we talk about all things value, pricing, and sales. I'm Mark Boundy. I'm your host of the Value Clarity Podcast and today I thought I'd talk a little bit about value propositions, value messaging, and value networks. Uh, Two of those you've probably heard of. One of them you haven't. The two you've heard of, I'm not sure if we all know what they mean or if we all mean the same thing when we use the words value proposition and value messaging. So I thought I'd talk a little bit about that today, as well as uh, maybe get a little bit of rant off my my um, chest about those. And then we're going to introduce you to Value Networks, which is a tool that I use with my clients. So let's start with a quick review, uh, something that I, was in the uh, podcast number one, which is only like two or three minutes long, is the introductory or teaser uh, podcast in in the Value Clarity podcast series, we said that value is something that only exists in the customer's mind. It's not in the seller's mind. It's not in the seller's words. It's not in anything in the space between the customer and the seller. It is something that only exists in the customer's mind. And unlike that, if the tree falls in the forest, is there any sound um, mystery that can never be solved? If you say something about value and no value formed in a customer's mind, there's no value. There's nothing a customer wants to pay for. So I went out on LinkedIn and and asked my people in my network uh, to give me their definitions of value, value proposition, value messaging. And the results were actually very interesting. Um, I had one person who is a, a major thought leader who didn't define value, he gave examples of value. Value occurs here, this is a kind of value, but he didn't talk about what value is. And we had uh, several folks actually define value very similarly to the way uh, I did, which, and they used customer benefits. Uh, I use customer outcomes just to be really clear that it is something a customer experiences and how badly they desire their outcomes uh, that drives value not um, anything that sounds like a salesman's feature speech. The term benefits is used correctly by many salespeople, uh, and that is customer outcomes, but some people don't use the word benefits. It's something between a feature and a customer outcome. So I don't personally like using the word benefits just because uh, it has again, like the word value, it has become to mean so many things. Some of which are great, and some of which um, can misdirect the people who don't really understand what you're talking about. That I want to be really clear, and I, I so I talk about outcomes, and that value is the desirability of those outcomes. Um, people were talking about value minus the cost of acquisition or the risk, and value minus. Um, uh, minus something and that might be net value uh, or the value premium and and I'm okay with those definitions as well as long as we understand that the the basic gain to the customer is their outcomes and value is about desirability of those outcomes. So if that's value, what is a value proposition? And the word proposition is actually the perfect word. It is what Value I propose a customer might have. And when I hear the term used, um, I often hear it used in a monolithic singular sense. Our value proposition is this message, and it, our value proposition is something we recite or we send out in virtually unaltered form to all of our prospective customers. So it's a monolithic single thing. And That's kind of making a bet that you have created the magic message that is going to, maybe not cause people to buy, but at least cause them to want to engage with you uh, by clicking your link or accepting a sales appointment or something like that. And so a well-crafted value proposition is playing the odds. It's kind of like your doctor saying, you have a 74% chance of surviving this diagnosis. Uh, The doctor knows nothing about you individually, your physiology, your overall health, uh, but he knows statistically that people with your diagnosis in this stage of progression survive 74% of the time, and so that's your odds. So it is impersonal, but you're playing the odds, and you've got the best single message that you could have come up with for the entire world. And if value is something that only exists in the customer's head, you're playing those kind of odds, has to be re- you have to be really confident in your analysis and your generalizing a given person that you're sending that value proposition to uh, that they fit in your predictions or your guesses. And i got to say, I don't love that. In today's world, uh, consumers, especially on the consumer side and increasingly so on the business to business side, buyers expect that you're going to give them something with personal relevance, that you've researched or you've targeted them so that it is very well targeted and very well personalized for them and their situation. I don't buy into the single value proposition. Or more accurately, let me say is, if that's the best you can do, go ahead. But is that really the best you can do? This undifferentiated, one-size-fits-all value proposition that you think is going to get you somewhere. And if where you want to go is a sale, it's certainly not right. But if it's the message that's calibrated to be most likely to get you that initial engagement so that you can start, providing a customized message very quickly uh, after some dialogue, I can live with it. But let's make real clear that a value proposition isn't a selling proposition. So I'm good with a value hypothesis as a value hypothesis or a value proposition when we treat it like what it is, a hypothesis. Uh, If we place more faith in it than that, please don't. So let's move on to the term value messaging and this is the one where um, opinions diverged a lot more um, and it's, one, it's a term that I really dislike. Uh, here's one thing in the uh, comments that I got, some on private messages, some um, on my, my thread, here's something I got. It's it's a small sample, I, I admit it, but the closer you are to the thought leadership, uh, to being a thought leader in the sales training and sales enablement world, the more you liked the term value messaging. Because to you, the, ter- the word messaging doesn't mean what it really means in the rest of the world. And here's what I mean. I looked up the word messaging in nine dictionaries and in... Six of those, messaging actually had to do with electronically transmitted, unidirectional communication. Now, I can maybe live with dropping off the electronically transmitted, uh, but it was always unidirectional. And in So that was like in six of the nine. In two of the nine, they had dropped the electronically transmitted, but it was still unidirectional communication. In the ninth definition, they gave three definitions, the first two of which were unidirectional, the third of which was a series of back and forth unidirectional with the hope that some shared meaning would take place. So if we talk about value messaging and value is something that only exists in the other guy's mind um, you're saying i'm going to deliver this magic message that results in some value forming between the other guy's ears that's just wrong so using the the word messaging I have some real heartburn with and the more people have been using it and I actually had some conversations with some some thought leaders and they said oh of course we don't mean that of course we mean dialogue um, but here's the problem if you're a thought leader that means you're somebody who knows about the subject talking to people who don't know about the subject who probably know English and if they know English they know the word messaging doesn't mean dialogue they know it means unidirectional and you will are uh, really influential persons swimming around in this pond of sales enablement, sales performance, sales thought leadership. There's another bunch of people swimming around in that pond who actually believe in what I believe is a myth, and that is the magic pitch. If I just say the right words the right way and the right rhythm, it's a magic pitch and it's gonna result in a sale. Uh, There are people who actually believe that or believe at least some version of that. There are messaging experts, and I'm all for composing messages with the specific intent that they will have the highest likely impact, but there are people who take it even further to say, no, this is the magic message. You just say this and everything will be perfect. Um, If you are somebody who doesn't believe in that, but you use the word messaging, there are people swimming around in that pond who are listening to to thought experts who don't know whether or not to believe the magic pitch people. And if you start using the word messaging, using a word that means unidirectional communication, you are, even though you don't mean unidirectional, your recipients are hearing from other people and they're hearing from their English teacher that unidirectional is okay that value can occur in somebody's mind with purely a unidirectional message. So one of my, uh, the people just said, I hope people will burn that phrase. And I couldn't agree more. So if you were to change value messaging to a value dialogue that starts with a value proposition tuned through your discovery discussions, uh, tuned to be a highly likely and highly impactful Then if that's what you mean by value messaging, great. Then let's just call it value dialogue or um, discovery informed value dialogue or something to that effect. But value messaging is a misnomer if you use the the M word. Don't use the M word anymore. I can get that if you keep chipping away at it, the word messaging will will eventually mean dialogue. But today it doesn't and today there are people who hear that word and who have also heard this the siren song of the people who believe in the magic pitch and you might be doing your unintended part to steer them down that very dangerous path of believing in the magic pitch so i would request that people just stop using the word messaging you could use value dialogue value conversations lots of things uh value hypothesis, and all of which might be more accurate and communicate the reality of what you're trying to do much better than the phrase value messaging. So this is where I transition from terms that you're familiar with and talking about definitions to introducing you to another thing, and that's called the value network. This is a tool I use with my clients, and it uses the same definition of value that I've been uh, trying to get everybody to buy into. It's customer outcomes. And what we want to do is develop a list, a full list of all of the customer outcomes, all of the customer value drivers, all of the customer value hypotheses that could come from your differentiation. So going back to that definition of value, it's the outcomes. And there are outcomes that are general category outcomes that everybody gets if you buy a car but there are other differentiated outcomes that will only come if they buy your car um, or your option your solution and so for the most part when we talk about your value we mean your differentiated value and so a value network we start with one of your differentiations and that is and i'm And the idea is we start with your differentiation from a feature standpoint, from a measurable objective, call it a feature or product attribute standpoint. What is it about your offer that makes you different from other similar or competitive offers? From that technical differentiation, let's hypothesize all of the typical customer outcomes that could follow from that and so an easy to value or excuse me an easy to understand value network uh, I drew and I got permission to use this uh, and it's in the commercial carpeting industry and that's why it's easy because we've all walked on carpet and we've all walked on commercial carpet we all get what that is so uh, this commercial carpet had a longer service life it wears longer than a competitor and let's just throw out a number, say it, it wears 20% longer. So if it wears 20% longer, you can price it at 19% higher. And for purely from a dollars per year standpoint, you should have at least 1% value premium. That is until your competitor drops their price by 2%. Um, but the idea is in this industry, the salespeople all knew how to sell dollars per year. And so that is one value driver, but it was the value driver that their competitors knew how to sell against, um, even though they didn't have product parity. We just uh, make the dollars per year more favorable and we'll win the deal. But here's the other value drivers. When a commercial carpet wears longer, That means the business interruption from when you have to replace the carpet. Because when you replace a commercial carpet, you have to move all the desks, all the office furniture off of that carpet, peel up the carpet, scrape it down to to the bare floor, reapply the new carpet with adhesive or whatever, replace all the furniture, and then hook all the computers and everything back up and listen to all the complaints for two weeks about how you broke my daughter's picture and how my computer isn't working anymore and... Where's my whatever that I brought from home? You lost something. You broke something. So all of that business interruption, actually, depending on the department that is sitting on top of that carp- that carpet, um, one business interruption cycle per seven years versus five years could actually have an economic value far in excess of the cost of the carpet itself. That is... The competitor would couldn't even overcome the cost of the business interruption if the competitor gave their carpet away for free. So let's add that to one of the things that in a value network. Let's write that down as a second bubble. So we at the top of a piece of paper we have our carpet wears longer, and I draw an arrow causes or, you know, results in lower dollars per year is one bubble that comes off of the longer wear. And now we have fewer replacement cycles, which then drives another outcome of lower business interruption. Uh, fewer business, fewer replacement cycles also means uh, lower, um, less frequent dumping of carpet in the you know commercial carpet in in a landfill and if you've got a chief sustainability officer they might care about that. Um, It might be that the carpet tends to look shabby towards the end of life and a longer wearing carpet it doesn't happen as fast and so there might be a customer and some imperceptible subliminal customer benefit to the fact that they aren't walking in your offices on shabby old looking carpet. Maybe the carpet uh, towards end of life needs to be cleaned more often. And maybe your janitorial, your environmental services care about that. So all of these other benefits, we're going to draw as little bubbles coming off of that longer wear life original feature. And every single one of these is a value hypothesis. And we can also identify... Who at the customer is likely to care about that? I mentioned that the the increased cleaning burden might be uh, of interest to the janitorial service. The increased business interruption will be uh, of interest to the manager of the department who's who's sitting on top of that carpet, as well as to the facilities people who are going to have to move in and out because they're going to maybe have to uh, employ some overtime Um ...at the wrong time, or they're the ones who are going to have to live with all the complaints about you lost my cat picture or whatever. Uh, So each of those outcomes is of concern, is likely to impact a separate person. Now, if I equip my sales force with that entire spectrum of possible outcomes... And I also identify which parties, which personas at the customer are likely to be impacted by those. Now I have a reason to engage with that person. I have a, a, a way or the, the theme of the request for a sales meeting to discuss. So I'm going to go to the janitorial people and ask them, hey, does it really increase the cost of cleaning or the frequency of cleaning. And what does that look like? What does that feel like? What does that cost like? How much of your extra time do you have? And do you have to hire extra people or temps in order to get that kind of stuff done? Blah, 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 right? So it gives you a very targeted conversation to have with a very targeted set of personas at the customer. Those are value hypotheses and it's a full, complete set. And what's going to happen if, if you use these value networks is the your best sellers are going to uncover even new ones. And so you put those into the value network and now you share that updated value network with your entire sales force. And now your sales force you, has just been trained on the latest, greatest, best practice from the top seller in your team. And... It's a tool that then can also go back to the marketing organization, saying maybe we should start talking about this outcome, about business interruption, because the business interruption can, in fact, exceed the entire cost of the carpet. Maybe we should talk about that in our marketing. Maybe we should equip our salespeople to start talking to people and to teach them that, hey, you've got to actually go in and talk to the the department manager that's sitting on top of that carpet, rather than just allowing the designer, the architect, and your uh, building maintenance person, uh, facilities person, to have that conversation on their behalf. Maybe we need to get their vote and to explain to facilities just how costly this is to the business. Because it's not likely that facilities is going to know that without having... Certainly they're not going to know it if the salesperson for the, the carpet salesperson tells them, uh, but they're unlikely to know it by themselves unless that department manager helps them walk through those costs. So that's a value network. A value network drives a variety of very targeted personas specific persona specific, easy for me to say, uh, value hypotheses for your people, for your sellers. It drives, coordination of those, of the knowledge of those hypotheses to your marketing. And as you find out which ones are the most impactful, uh, you can develop content around those. And it becomes not the monolithic value proposition that is a one size fits all. Suddenly you have some very targeted value hypotheses that are persona specific. And with a little bit of pre-call research, if you have two or three big runners, you can actually narrow it down from, of those two or three big runners, which one is the most likely one. So for this customer and for this persona, what is the most likely value proposition? And so my argument with the value proposition, the way most people use it is it's a one size fits all, single thing for the company. In sales, We need to be more surgical and more refined than that. And this value network gives us a chance to educate the entire sales force on the value hypotheses that are likely to impact and which have been of most impact in the past for different personas. So that is a value network. I hope you found that discussion useful. If you want to know more, uh, reach out to me, Mark at BoundyConsulting.com. If you'd like to talk more about any of these topics, uh, I'm happy to send you a little bit more detailed information on value networks and what they are and how they work and and how we can help you set one of your own up or a whole set of your own up. So that's it for today's edition of the Value Clarity Podcast, where since Value is in your customer's mind. Your success in sales and marketing and pricing is all in your customer's head. Thank you and have a good one. So the theme music for the Value Clarity Podcast is provided by the incomparable Craig Theron, and it is his composition, the No Value Blues. I couldn't think of a better song for the Value Clarity Podcast, and I'll let him play us out. Don't know much about this spec, or why they came to me,
0: or how this $20 price tag even came to be. Don't know this customer's business, or why he needs pots in a week. Maybe his current supplier screwed things up, put him up a creek. And I don't know why he wants 4000 of our gold-plated thingamabobs with the custom unobtainium mojo option what do you mean the custom unobtainium mojo option cost us more than 20 bucks by itself are you sure he knows that then why'd you tell me 20 bucks well it ain't easy cause value's in your buyer's brain if you're selling on only your features you're gonna drive both of you insane and if you ignore your customers outcomes you're bound to be paying your dues because you'll be singing those old don't know value blue. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.